This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Well, hey, everybody. Y'all doing good? All right. Well, today we're in a series called uh, Habits of the Heart, just as a way of uh, overview so that we can connect with where we are today. Uh, We started this series, Habits of the Heart, by talking about the simple fact that we have habits in our hearts, right? We have habits that are in our hearts. Some of you have habits, right? Things like you bite your fingernails. You ever done that before, right? You, You have different habits, but we have habits in our heart, emotional habits, Some of us, our habits are fear and anxiety or worry, those kinds of things. And we wanted just to simply spend a few weeks addressing that. So last week, we started by talking about the habit of placing God at the center, really not letting anything in our life exist when we're not going to put Jesus at the center of everything. That's the goal. Jesus, you're at the center of my family. You're at the center of my, my friendships. You're at the center of my finances. I want you at the center of everything. So today we're going to talk about the habit of trusting God, okay? And we're going to do that by looking at a story that we find in John chapter 6. To set the stage for that story, Jesus has just fed the 5,000. Now, we know 5,000 is recorded in Scripture as the men. So more than likely, it was 10, maybe 20,000 that were in the crowd that Jesus fed with just a boy's lunch. And immediately after that this event happens. It's a familiar story, and I'm praying that as we talk about it today, that God would open your eyes. Would you stand as we read through the text in John chapter 6, beginning in verse 16. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off to the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters were rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Now the next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there. And Jesus had not entered it with the disciples, but that they had gone away alone. Then some of the boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, many of us are exactly like the crowds on the shore that are wondering where Jesus is. Where your word tells us that they went searching for him. We're here today searching for you. And so we ask you, God, that in the course of our time together that we would encounter you, that we would encounter the living God, and that, God, our lives would be changed through that encounter, that you would convict us, you would encourage us, and that ultimately, God, you would change us for your glory 
It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen and amen. While you're taking your seat, touch your neighbor and say, they were looking for Jesus. Now look back and say, I hope they find him. (laughs) The disciples get into a boat, begin to go to Capernaum on the other side of the lake, and what happens? They get in a storm. Just a simple observation as we start today. Storms are a part of life. Storms are a part of life. We're going to go through some storms. And in life, we learn a little bit about storms because naturally some good things happen in storms. It rains in storms. We need rain. Too much rain, bad, but rain, good. The wind blows, right? Literally, we need the wind. Without the wind, we we would have stagnant air. We'd have pollen issues. Not, Not only that, but did you know trees need wind to grow strong roots? They don't have wind. They'll have shallow roots, and they'll end up dying as they grow older. Right? We need naturally. There's some good things that happen in the same way in our lives. There's some blessings that happen in the middle of the storms that we go through. Now today, your life might be calm. Okay, you might not be going through a storm. You might say, "I've been through a storm in the past, but it's calm." Y'all, listen to me. You need to get ready because there's a storm coming again. Okay, one day we're going to go through storms. And we see this with the disciples, our opening point. This is so simple, but it's so practical. There are storms that cannot be predicted or avoided. There are storms that no matter how smart we were, we cannot forecast that that storm is coming and we can't even avoid it if we wanted to. We've experienced that. Some of us have been to the doctor this hurts. Routine blood test. And then coming back, the news of a diagnosis that we didn't know, we can't avoid. Some of us have been through financial emergencies where it's July and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the HVAC unit goes out and we got to come up with $7,000 to replace the HVAC unit. A few months ago, a family in our church called me. I was called in to do a funeral. In the middle of the night, the family was woken up by state troopers. Where they were informed that one of their family members, somebody they love, had passed away tragically in a car accident. The, the truth is, it's not if these storms will happen. It's when will these storms hit? When? Because you're going to, in life, experience these kinds of storms. And the the big question is not if they're going to come or when they're going to come. The big question for you is how will you react? How will you react in the middle of that storm? This is where we get into the heart work that we're going to talk about today. Because your reactions are the byproducts of the habits of your heart. That's why we need to every once in a while, we just need to take take a step back and inspect the way that we react in certain moments. Because what's happening is that those reactions are exposing the habits of our heart. And today we're going to talk about the the habit of trusting God, foundationally. 
This habit that we all need to be building if we're going to follow after Jesus, the habit of trusting God. And you see a little example of this in the story that we just read. And I've told you along the way, to, to build certain habits, we have to break certain habits. To build the habit of trusting God, we'll have to break the habit of fear. To build the habit of trusting God, we'll have to break the habit of fear. Did you notice what happened with the disciples? John records this in verse 18. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, John includes this detail to let us know this didn't just happen. I mean, they're well into this journey. There's a lot of effort that has been expended up to this moment. They saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. Their reaction was fear. Now this story is recorded in two different places in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all the Gospels. That word gospel meaning the good news of Jesus. They're all different perspectives. None of them try to be exhaustive. They're just telling the story of Jesus from their own perspective. So Matthew, who was another one of Jesus' disciples, records the same story in Matthew chapter 14 and gives us greater detail. He says that when they first saw Jesus walking on the road, they thought it was a ghost. What is that? I don't know. Looks like a ghost. And then Matthew says they were terrified and began to cry out in fear. So a boat filled with grown men began to, ah, oh, what is that? Oh, no, it's going to get us. See, our default reaction is often fear because we have the habit of trusting the wrong things. The reason we're afraid is because we have a trust issue. You have to break the habit of fear to build the habit of trusting God. And often the reason that we're afraid is we've trusted the wrong things. The disciples in this moment, they're confused. Who is that? What is that? Is it a ghost? And they react in fear. But I want you to notice something that Matthew makes clear to us in Matthew 14, verse 22. Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. Take a moment and process that. Jesus said, y'all come here. I got a boat. Get in the boat. Y'all get out there and start rowing. I want y'all to go to the other side. So they're in the middle of a storm because that's exactly where God wanted them to be. As a matter of fact, it's where Jesus sent them to be. You ever been there? Doing exactly what you feel like God told you to do. And all of a sudden, it's not going the way you thought it would. It's not, everything's not turning up rainbows and roses and unicorns, and you're frustrated. And so many of us look at those moments as reasons to get mad at God. God, you told me to serve Him, to lay my life down at home, and to submit to Him. And I thought things were going to get better, but they're not. God, you, show, you told me to show up at work and do my best and act like I was working for you and it would get better, but it's not. 
See, what seems like a reason to be mad at God is often the reason that we should trust him. Because if God called you to it, he'll get you through it. See, some of us get so caught up in the moment that we forget that he's God and we're not. And the disciples in that moment could have just simply said, Jesus put us in the boat. I know we're in a storm. I don't know how it's going to work out, but we just saw him feed 5,000 men, 20,000 people with a little boy's lunch. He can do whatever he wants. He'll get us through it. They could have said that. But their reaction was fear because they weren't trusting Jesus. See, the thing is, is that we trust a lot of things, right? We trust, if you're married, you should trust your spouse. If you're employed, you should trust the business you work for to pay you a paycheck after you've done your work, right? You ought to be able to trust some things in life. But there's a difference between trusting something and foundationally trusting. Because in the bedrock of every one of our lives, there is foundational trust. And foundationally trusting anything other than God will lead to fear and fears byproducts, worry, anxiety, and depression. Counselors will tell you that worry, anxiety, and depression are secondary expressions of fear. That's their anchor. That's where they find themselves. And foundationally trusting anything other than God will lead you to places of fear. Because all of those other things have their limits. And if you give life long enough, it's going to put you in a storm where you will find the limit of that thing that you have trusted. The disciples were caught in the storm. They're scared to death. But I love what Jesus said. He said to them, it is I. Don't be afraid. I want you to know today that sometimes God doesn't take away the storm. He just comes into the storm with us. He walks through the storm with us. He holds us as we go through the storm. Jesus said, listen, y'all don't have to be afraid. It's me. Notice this detail that John includes. Then they were willing to take him into the boat. Then. Which means... That there for a while, they won't go and let him get in the boat. <laughs> I don't know who you are. I don't know what you're doing. You look like a ghost. Now, I want to make something clear. If you want to live a life that pleases God, you've got to live by faith, which means you won't understand. And it was only the moment that they understood that they were willing to invite Jesus in. If you want to get through some stuff in life by faith and trust in God, you're going to have to invite him in before you understand. Will you be willing to invite Jesus into your boat in the storm? I don't understand what's going on. I don't know why this is happening. I don't know what's going on. But God, I know that I need you here with me because there's no way I get to where I'm supposed to go without you. See, there's good stuff that happens in the middle of a storm. And here's one of those. Storms expose our habits through our reactions. 
They expose our habits through our reactions. Some of you, y'all would have got in that moment and been like, listen, we're not working as a team. All right, everybody, on my count, we're going to start rowing together. We'll get to the other side. We just need a cowboy up and work a little harder. Some of y'all have been so scared. I don't care who you say you are. You're not getting my boat. But the only way that they were getting where they were going was when Jesus got in the boat. So today I want to talk about the habits of trusting God and building that habit. And the first thing I want you to see, the disciples help us see this, is that number one, your foundational habits are revealed in crisis. This is one of the gifts of the storm. Your foundational habits are revealed in crisis. You're going to see something that you didn't know about you before you got into the storm. There are things that we don't even know about ourselves until they're revealed to us. And what's funny is your spouse probably already knows it. Your kids probably already know it. Your friends already know it, but you don't know it. And you won't ever do anything about it until you see it. See, God knows you better than you know yourself. And He'll reveal what He's ready to work on. He'll let you see it. You're being entitled. You're being stubborn. You're being difficult. You're not being patient. You're not being gracious and kind. He'll show you. And this isn't shame. This isn't God going, listen, you failed again. Look how much better I am than you. That's not it. God is actually giving you an opportunity. It's an opportunity to grow. It's an opportunity to change. The Bible says in Romans 8, In all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. In all things. Which means there are some good things, but there's some difficult things too. And God will work in our lives for our good through those things. This is why we say, listen, if it's not good yet, God's not done with it. Because he's going to turn all things into something good if we'll continue to trust him and follow him. And I just want to say this. This is not just a you thing. This is an us thing. I have walked through this myself. About five years ago, I started to experience what my neurologist has called a firestorm of symptoms. Undiagnosed no cause whatsoever. About four years ago, my doctor was like, we need to get an MRI of your brain. I had no idea that I was claustrophobic until they told me they were going to MRI my brain. Okay, it's not just the tube that they stick you in. To get a brain MRI, they lock your head in a cage. Okay, it's scary. And I went into the MRI tube and I came out clear. Let's do a CT, clear. Let's do another CT, clear. Let's take some blood, clear. Over and over and over again, the test just revealed nothing. But the symptoms persisted. So my neurologist had a working theory, but then a year ago, he said, Kevin, we need to, to do another MRI. And I looked at him and said, I ain't going to that tube again, dude. Sorry, 
you have to put me in there knocked out. He said, that's fine. We'll sedate you. So I go in. My wife takes the day off. They knock me out, slide me into the tube. Essentially, MRI my brain and my entire spine. We get home, you know, I'm a little groggy, and I get that text message from the hospital. You have new test results, right? Which is awfully tempting to look at. So I pull it up. I pull up the image report specifically for my brain. And it reads, there is a nine millimeter cavernova in the right temporal lobe. Otherwise, it's clear. nine millimeter cavernova. I have no idea what that word means. I know the suffix of that word is used in carcinoma, melanoma, other things that are really, really scary. And so I looked at my wife and said, we're going to the doctor. I don't have an appointment, but that joker's going to have to see me today. So we walk in, they're like, do you have an appointment? I was like, no, ma'am, I don't but I'm going to need to see him today. She's like, you look upset. I'm like, I am. I am very upset right now. So we go in, and this is no joke. My wife was with me. My doctor comes in, pulls out the reports that they had printed off for him. He looks at me and goes, Kevin, and he's an older guy. He's been in this for a long time. He said, I've never in all of my practice seen this word on a brain MRI before. I don't really have anything in my heart. Sank. Because all I could imagine at that point was that it was the worst case scenario. I had to leave that day and lead a trip with our staff to a conference where we were supposed to praise the Lord. You know how hard it is to praise the Lord when you think you're dying? You don't know. My neurologist called and said, we need to move your appointment. Like, they only do that when something's wrong. I can't remember. Holding my daughter one night as we watched TV and just crying. Because I was thinking, God, I don't know if I'll get to walk her down the aisle. I don't know what this is. Looking at my boys who are 10 and 6 and just saying God I want to see them as grown men my friends many of you know my my best friends are all pastors I kind of let them know what was going on they're like dude we'll we'll WebMD this thing for you you don't have to do it they're calling me like Kevin you're great it's going to be okay we're going to get you through this so we go to my meeting with my neurologist he walks in He's a great dude. He always wears a bow tie. And he walks in. And <laughs> I'm like, we were, are we ready to go to work, man? He's like, yeah. He's like, are you, you seem really excited about this. I'm like, can we talk about my brain? So he pulls up this image of my brain. I showed this to my six-year-old. And he said, Dad, your brain looks like an angry face. <laughs> it's like, oh, we got great images of your brain. I'm like, that's great. But there was something in the report. He goes, oh, yeah, this. So he pulls up this report. 8.3 millimeters by 8.9 millimeters in the right temporal lobe. And he looked at me and he said, Kevin, there's four different kinds 
of malformations. The brain as it forms doesn't form correctly. Two of them are really bad. One of the bad ones is an aneurysm. Two of them are benign. Yours is benign. You're good. We call this a radiological finding with no medical bearing. It's probably been in your brain since you were a kid. And I could just go on living and miss the fact that over the span of a couple weeks in the middle of that storm, God exposed something in my heart that needs to be addressed. And left unaddressed, it will impair things in the future. I've learned some things about walking through some storms. And I'm going to give you, if we're going to build a habit of trusting God, this is the simple way we go about doing it. Number two in your notes, confess your trust until you feel peace. Confession is a choice. God, I trust you. I trust you. I'll confess my trust until I feel peace. God, I trust you. I don't trust these things. I know I feel anxious again. I don't know how it's all going to work out. God, I'm coming to you again. I confess it. God, I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. Confess your trust until you feel peace. Y'all listen to me. There is no lasting peace outside of trusting God. If you want to anchor your peace in your circumstances, get ready to ride a wild roller coaster. You're going to be up and down and up and down for the rest of your life. The only way to live in stability is to find peace with God by trusting Him, by trusting Him. And one of my favorite verses in the Bible talks about this, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. The opening precept of this proverb is you will choose in life what you lean on. You will lean on your own understanding, or you will lean on a trust in him. And just to be blunt about this, you cannot do both. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own, own understanding. I acknowledge Him. Submit to Him in all your ways. And He will make your path. In other words, God will do something because you've submitted to Him and trust Him supremely. See, we often get this backwards. Because what we do is we make decisions that follow our feelings. Well, I feel like it's supposed to be this way, and this is what I'm feeling. Instead of understanding this principle, please let me teach you this. This will change things in your life. Choices lead, feelings follow. Choices lead, feelings follow. And what we're talking about here is making a foundational heart-level decision to say, God, I trust you. I trust you. That's my confession. It's a choice that I make. God, I don't know how it's all going to work out. I don't know what's going to happen. I might feel a little worried or anxious. I might feel afraid again, recognizing that what I've surrendered to you, all I did was pick it back up and try to become God over it again. God, I'm coming to you again. I give it back to you. I surrender it to you. It's my confession that I trust you. 
And if you'll do that long enough, if you'll make that choice, feelings will follow. Confess your trust until you feel peace. And just to make this clear for everybody, number three, there's always more work to do. There's always more work to do. Maybe today you you feel tempted to say, but I trust God. I trust Him. I've got this. I don't need this message. More than likely, life's challenges will reveal something that you've yet to trust God with. I'm I'm anxious about that. Well, I didn't know I didn't trust God with that. I'm worried about this over here. I didn't know I didn't trust God with that. I I know these things. It'll reveal to you. The storms of life will show it to you. This is actually a very healthy thing. The Bible calls it sanctification. This gradual, continual process of us being changed and conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And it takes work. It takes work. There's always an opportunity in those moments to grow. And I think some of us, we, we even see it and we go, God, I know you want me to trust you with it, but, but I know my heart and I know if I try, I'm not going to do a good job. And so I'd rather just not try rather than fail. But can I just invert your thinking on that? We, we need to be a people who are more scared of not trying. More scared of not trying. I'm so scared that I wouldn't try what God's leading to me. I'm not going to let the fear of failure rob me of it. I'm scared of missing out on what God wants to do. You know, when Matthew tells this story, he includes a detail of what happens that John doesn't. In Matthew 14, when Jesus says, hey, everybody, it's me. You don't have to be afraid. In the boat is Peter, who says, Lord, if it's you, tell me I can come to you. And in the very next verse, in verse 30, Peter gets out of the boat and he walks on water. He begins to walk towards Jesus. But if you know the story, the wind and the waves begin to kind of capture his attention. He takes his eyes off of Jesus and he begins to sink. And in the very next verse, verse 31, Jesus comes over to him and picks him up and carries him back to the boat. Just think about the disciples, scared out of their mind, crying out in fear. And then there's Jesus and Peter with this impulsive faith, steps out of the boat and begins to walk on the water. When the story's over with, there's only two that walked on water. That was Jesus and Peter. And so many times we tell the story, captivated by the fact that he fell into the water, but but the rest of those men just sat there observing while those two guys actually did it. And then Jesus comes over and picks him up carries him back to the boat. I like to think about that moment. The other disciples as Jesus lays down the soaking wet Peter cheering him and jeering him. Peter, that all looked good until you started falling down. 
Boy, you was doing pretty good out there. You got a few steps, then you messed up, didn't you? But I like to think of John who is captivated by the love of God. So much so that in his epistle, 1 John, he would say that y'all just love one another. The love of God is in us when we can love one another. If you hate somebody, the love of God's not in you. Love one another. He just was enamored by the love that Jesus had for him, so much so that in his gospel, he refers to himself as the beloved disciple. And I imagine Jesus setting him down. Peter, who's soaking wet, next to John, who leans over, says, Peter, what was it like to be carried by Jesus through the storm? What was it like to be that close, that loved? be held by the one who holds it all together. Because if we're honest, if you're a parent, you know some of the most intimate moments we have with our kids is when they're not well. Maybe one of the things that happens in the middle of a storm is that God gets to hold us if we'll trust him. See, our trust in God will carry us through the most difficult seasons of our life. And that's not just a decision. It's a habit. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.